Hi, I'm Haley. I'm Aida. And welcome to this week's episode of Flying the Wall. But first, make sure you follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Flying the Wall Pod. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at flyingthewallpodcast at gmail.com. This week's guest is Governor Jack Colmier from Kansas. He served as the 47th governor of Kansas and has started or helped manage small companies, healthcare entities, large organizations, and complex international projects. He successfully combined dual careers in business and government while practicing reconstructive surgery. He's known for volunteering in numerous war zones and has been featured on 60 Minutes, People, and multiple media outlets. Governor Jeff Collier, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. First, your life has been dedicated to public service. You've been a doctor in war zones, a politician, and are currently a licensed practitioner in specialized surgery. Why are you driven to serve? You know, it's one of the reasons why I came to Georgetown uh, is we're here to make a difference in people's lives. And so when I was a high school student and then as a college student, I looked at it as we could serve people. There's a spiritual side to us. There's a physical side to us. Being a doctor would be a great way of doing that. And then there's that bigger world. And I thought that um, public policy would be the way that you could really make a difference in people's lives. And so I very deliberately tried to have a dual career uh, in those things. So at Georgetown, I was economics and pre-med. And that was an era when you couldn't put those two things together. They thought we were kind of crazy. Yeah, so you volunteered as a doctor in multiple war zones, including the Rwandan genocide. What was that experience like? You know, um, we're all here to make a difference for people. And, you know, one of the things that happens is the world forgets about the victims of war. And how do you help somebody in Rwanda or in the Congo or in northern Syria? Uh, I first volunteered with an organization called International Medical Corps. IMC is the largest American uh, organization that works in conflict zones. And so I first volunteered with them in Afghanistan and then have worked with them in about 25 other countries uh, around the world, um, like the Rwandan genocide and uh, you know Syria, uh, South Sudan, Cambodia, a number of different places. What I like about them and, and part of my concept of service is that we're here to help people take control of their lives once again. So it's not just a matter of going over and doing a couple of surgeries, because once you're gone, the only people that benefited were those that you've helped there. What you want to do is you want to make sure that this continues on. So how do you strengthen it? And so part of our focus is working with the local docs and nurses and you know, the logistics and all of that so that these sorts of things can continue on long after you're gone. And you can see it pay off uh, in the long run in a lot of places. And I think, you know, being able to help uh, people where they are uh, is is really important uh, for us. Some of the scariest days of my life and some of the most interesting as well. Are there any stories from your time in conflict zones that stand with you today? Oh, sure. Um, there, you know, there are lots of uh, different places. Um, you know, so for example, uh, in Rwanda, uh, the, in the Rwandan genocide, about a million people were killed in the space of about 100 days. Um, and this is, you know, in my mind, probably the worst genocide of, you know, the 20th century and how rapid it was. Um, and going there when you were there, um, 
you know, at night is when the killing would happen. And we'd have to lock ourselves in. We'd wrap chains around the windows. And since everything had been looted, all of the doors had been broken, we would lean pop bottles uh, against the door so you could hear if somebody broke in uh, while we were there. Um, and after we had been there for a while and started working, you know, with local folks and getting the hospital going up again, a lot of the fighting started moving away. People started taking control of their lives again. Uh, also worked in a, a lot of other places too, the former Soviet Union, um, the uh, Syrian border, which a lot of people are, are talking about now. The Syria um, has been a really difficult civil war for a number of years. And there are a number of cross-border programs. There are a couple of million people that are in the refugee camps, as well as people inside. Um, and that war has changed you know, quite a bit uh, on the ground. And so many of these people will never be able to return. And so these are people, many of them are like you. Many of them are have a college degree. Uh, they may be a professional. They may be a doctor or lawyer. Or they may be somebody who can't, you know, can just barely read or write. Um, and you'll see that whole extreme there. And how we handle that situation over the next uh, few years is going to be really important um, for us because, you know, these are people that we can't leave alone. If, if we do, uh, you're going to see, you know, another ISIS and you'll see some other uh, things that uh, can arise uh, in that place. There are lots of other uh, countries uh, to South Sudan uh, is the poorest country and our newest country uh, in the world. And that's undergone a couple of different civil wars. Um, and what you find is that uh, when there's some humanitarian assistance there, a lot of times that civil war will kind of tamp down in some of those areas. And so it's really important that the international community be there. Yeah, so you've talked a lot about international politics and how mm -hmm. that's informed your work. So let's transition into domestic politics. Oh, sure. You've, uh, you, took, you took over Kansas in a time of relative political turmoil. How did you write the ship? Well, Kansans wrote the, <laughs> would uh, write the ship. Um, I guess the past tense is not wrote the ship. <laughs> but, uh, um, no, so Kansas uh, has had a number of challenges uh, over the years. Over the last 50 years, the state has not grown as much uh, as the rest of the country. But it also has some very vibrant parts of the economy. It's the um, main, you know, most uh, aircraft are actually built uh, in Kansas, a small private uh, aircraft. We have, you know, some large technology companies like Sprint uh, that are headquartered there. There's oil and gas and, of course, wheat uh, and, and agriculture. Um, and it's a, a state where everybody knows everyone. And so it's a really fantastic place where there's lots of opportunities that, are kind of going unrecognized. So we had to come in, I uh, moved up, I was lieutenant governor, and then stepped into the uh, governorship. And we were right in the middle of the legislative session. And so what we wanted to do is make sure that we listened to folks, we understood what was going on, they knew that we were listening, and we acted. And so, for example, uh, on some of the very first days, uh, we had to deal with 
some me too sorts of moments that were there. And, and I wanted us to have a good workforce. And so we had sexual harassment training required of every employee of the state of Kansas uh, for the first time. And it started with me. Um, then, uh, you know, we started focusing on growing the economy, dealing with our school education issues. We were able to put uh, several hundred million dollars into K-12 education uh, and to start to focus uh, that, start to deal uh, with some of those issues and, and seeing the, the state growing. When we finished, uh, we had a $900 million surplus. Uh, and so I felt you know, that we'd achieved a lot. So how did actively practicing medicine while also leading the state inform your perspective on politics? It was important to me. Um, that's how, you, you know, politics, you can sometimes lose your soul uh, in it. And that's my warning to everybody. Make sure you have something that allows you to have a touchstone where you don't lose your soul in the political world. Um, and for me, helping people as a doctor, I saw them in their worst situations. Uh, I do a lot of trauma um, in the emergency room. Uh, I'm a plastic surgeon. I do craniofacial surgery. And so um, we would do you know, some call on weekends and things like that. And, um, and most of the time, my patients didn't know who I was. Uh, and then afterwards, they'd figure out, oh, that was the governor. Um, <laughs> it was kind of fun. But it gave me a sense of where the real world is and how to deal uh, with them. And I think also uh, people recognize that I was there trying to make a difference for them. And it just made me a better governor because you're focusing on people and you're focusing on uh, you know, the priorities of people. And when you're focusing on people, there's a lot of different types of people. So yeah. Bipartisanship obviously comes into that a lot. What was it like for you working across the aisle and what strategies did you implement um, to work with other parties and kind of make everything run smoothly? You know, I think uh, a lot of people think that uh, politics, that there's just, you know, Republicans and Democrats. In reality, I think there are about five tribes uh, in, the, in the political world, and you probably need three of those tribes to get a consensus to get something done. Um, and so we had to focus on some very deliberate things. We wanted to make sure that we uh, were dealing with our school finance problem. And so uh, in, in the House and the Senate, we actually had to approach it a different way. One in one side of the body, we wanted to, the best politics was to do it as just all Republicans. The Democrats didn't want to participate. And another one, uh, the Democrats were willing to. Um, and, you know, what I did, you know, from the very beginning is my door is always open. You listen, you talk to people, you may disagree with them. Uh, but if you talk to them, you can understand where they're coming from. And if they understand what your principles are, um, then sometimes, you know, you can get, you can get some agreement, uh, you know, from them. Uh, and, you know, people expect us to get things done. I'm a surgeon. That's what I do. Um, with it, and you know, we we've accomplished a lot uh, in Kansas uh, in that first hundred days. So you did accomplish a lot working across the aisle, but what is it like competing for a seat on the campaign trail? Oh sure. Um, so um, governing and politics, you know, go hand in hand, and 
I think the most important thing on the campaign trail is to be authentic, to be yourself, and to listen to people. And I think so much of politics may be people you know, yelling and screaming about one particular thing, and they have their point. Um, but it is go and listen to them and really get you know, behind the story and let people understand you, you see their priorities, and then you act on them. And that's what's important in the, in the political side. Campaigns um, uh, are rough and tumble events. Um, and uh, there are lots of things that, that happen in, in campaigns. It may depend on who the candidates are. You know, in the Democratic presidential primaries, you know, right now, um, it may depend, it probably depends more on who the first five people are that go down rather than the next set of people that go down because that sets up who the competitors are and so oftentimes we focus on the front runners but sometimes you really need to watch the middle of the pack so you can see where people are moving and and getting there uh, and i think it's going to be fascinating we're only 104 days away uh, from the iowa caucuses and there's going to be a lot of discussion uh, going on and a lot of uh, a lot of ideas out there so i'm going to be watching it pretty closely um, can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to lose the gubernatorial primary by 345 votes out of more than 313,000 casts? Yeah, that was a tough day. Um, that was a tough day. That was also uh, probably the closest statewide election in the United States in a number of years um, there. And, you know, looking at one way, um, 179 votes uh, would have changed things. So when it's that close... There's a million things that you could do to win. Had I spent a little bit more money on this? Had I, you know, two more days of television advertising? Had some more door knockers? Uh, did I, you know, make a, a mistake on the campaign trail? Um, not, nothing fatal, but, you know, could you, could you have done it? There are lots of things that you could do uh, with that. So actually, I didn't, didn't really beat myself up uh, much about it. I learned, though, that... You really do need to listen to people and, you know, get that strategy there. One of the things uh, that happens, uh, for example, in, in our uh, race is we uh, tied at 41%, uh, but then we had about a half a dozen candidates. Uh, and I was everybody's second choice uh, and would have, you know, done very well in the, in the general election uh, with that. But, um, you know, different people, uh, you know, were in there. And so just even some of those minor candidates uh, can truly change an election. And eventually it cost us the Republican governorship of Kansas. And you've worked in the state legislature as well as the governor's mansion. How do those elections differ uh, in the different levels of government? Yeah, that's, that's a really good one. Um, because when you're in the state legislature, um, you're going to cover a small area you literally know 10% of the people easily, um, you know, by name and where their kids are and all of that. And you probably recognize another 30 or 40% of them. Um, and so it's very hands-on. It's door-to-door. And so um, when I, I ran for the Kansas House and the Kansas Senate um, and moved up into the, both of those, those were 
you know, you're out, you're knocking on doors, talking to people, listening to them. Here's who you are. And they all know who you are. They, you know, you're all one person away, uh, you know, from doing that. Um, and I had very competitive races. I had three-way generals and three-way primaries and got 65% in, in all of those races. And to me, it was, you got to listen to people and you work your tail off. Um, and that's, that's very different than a congressional race or a governor's race where you can't knock on every door in the state of Kansas, uh, let alone in New York. Um, there, you're communicating in a much broader space. Um, and, you know, that's, uh, you, you just perform in a, in a different way. Um, and, you know, people do, though, people do like seeing and talking to their politicians. Um, I think we all, you know, do. We want them to hear us. And so making sure, even when you're on a statewide, to have that availability, lots of town halls, lots of, you know, small visits uh, places. So, you know, for example, uh, Kansas has 105 counties. Uh, the lieutenant governor and I did all 105 counties in two weeks. So imagine going to 10 counties a day uh, for a couple of weeks. But you're talking to folks. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I got to see, you know, an immense, you know, part of the state kind of at the same snapshot. Um, you know, so there, there is some of that retail politics in there. Uh, but also, you know, there are messages and themes, you know, that are bigger. That's some really amazing insight. Yeah, and that seems like an absolute whirlwind. So how do those opinions from your constituents impact the policymaking process? You know, um, we're here to represent people. And they also, though, they expect you to make your best judgment. And that's the same thing as a doctor. When, you know, if you come in with a gunshot wound um, and I'm having to take care of you, we're going to talk about here what our options are. They may not all be pretty uh, in this, but we're going to do our best for you and help me understand you, you know, a little bit about you so that we can try to get those best results. And I find that uh, is very similar to the political world that, you know, when you listen to them and you start, you know, really working with people and they understand, you know, what you're trying to do, um, it can make a big difference. Cool. So the next segment here on Fly on the Wall is called the lightning round. Really hard questions. Okay. <laughs> and you have to give us a rapid fire response. All right. First, really hard question. Uh -huh. What was your favorite dorm when you lived here on campus? Oh, I was the last person to live in the tower here in the Healy building. So, um, so the fourth floor uh, was uh, freshman and transfer students. I transferred into Georgetown. And um, so we got to live in the four windows uh, just underneath the clock tower. Uh, so that was great. And then we moved into, um, then we were uh, some of the first people to move into Village A uh, the following year. So uh, it, was, it was great fun. And I can tell you, it's really, really hard to try to climb up there and <laughs> steal the hands. It takes some very unique skills, which I didn't have. <laughs> well, we're due for that, so that'll happen soon. I'm not encouraging this, okay? <laughs> President DeJoya, I didn't encourage that. All right, so who do you have winning the Super Bowl this year? Oh, I'm a Chiefs fan. Patrick Mahomes will be back. Uh, you know, he's, he's a great candidate, and Kansas City is great fun. Uh, and we will get through Tom Brady, and we will do just fine. All right, last question. 
You go to the Kansas State Fair. What food do you get? Oh, gosh. That's a tough one. Oh, no. Well, okay. So we always get, so my daughters would go uh, with me. They're all in college, you know, now one of them graduated from Georgetown. Um, so we would always go and we would get, they would have steaks and they would have uh, corn and a cob, but then you got to go find unusual things. And so, um, and every year there was something new. So it might be, uh, for example, a hamburger between two donuts, uh, which, oh, <laughs> which is, but you got to add bacon to it as well. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, that, that was always good. Um, and then there are just all sorts of, of fun, homemade things that uh, show up there. And, uh, um, and then the real favorite was they have homemade apple dumplings. And so we would always buy like 12 apple dumplings, put them in a pan and freeze them at home. And they would last about a week. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Governor it's Hoyt, great. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great. I really appreciate uh, the podcast and uh, Hoya Saxa. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. If you liked what you heard today, make sure you come to Jeff Collier's discussion group every Tuesday from 4 to 5.30 in the GU Politics office. And don't forget to stay connected with Fly on the Wall on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fly on the Wall Pod, and you can email us at flyonthewallpodcast at gmail.com with any questions or comments. Have a great week!